Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 74 Evil Hat Productions, Fate, and Thirsty Sword Lesbians. This week, I finally feel good enough about one of my long tease subjects to actually release it on the world. So without further ado, let's crank up the tour bus and get into it. Evil Hat Productions can trace its origins to LARPs at Ambercon Northwest starting in about 1999. Fred Hicks, Lydia Leong, Rob Donahue, and a cast of other friends and fellow gamers had been running LARPs at the con, and the name Evil Hat was chosen as the group's moniker. Now, when they started running their games, they'd been using the fudge system, which we detailed on this show last week. However, Hicks and Donahoe were on their way to Lake Tahoe when they began discussing some of the problems they'd had over the years with Fudge. And in the course of fixing those problems, they actually created what would become a new game system, Fate. Now, we'll cover Fate next in today's show. But Fate was created initially for Evil Hat to use to run their next Ambercon game with. Of course, they decided to publish the game under the name the group had been using all along. The complete first edition of Fate was released on Yahoo Groups in January of 2003. After addressing issues with the technical writing and doing a spit and polish on the system itself, they released the second edition in August of that same year. If you remember Yahoo Groups, then you'll know that Hicks and Donahoe basically released Fate to the gaming community for free, much like the case had been with Fudge. However... Evil Hat wouldn't stay in the free game business for very long. In 2004, Evil Hat got the license to produce a tabletop role-playing game based on the wildly popular novel series The Dresden Files. However, they pressed pause on that project to upgrade and update Fate to version 3.0 for another project they were working on, which we'll get into momentarily. In 2005, Evil Hat started producing a series of role-playing games that each had a different genre, but all used an updated version of Fate. The game Fate had been upgraded specifically for was Spirit of the Century, which is a 1920s pulp adventure and was released in 2006. Diaspora was also a part of this new line, though it didn't release until 2010. Heading back to 2006, Evil Hat released another new and wildly successful game, though Fred Hicks gets the sole writing credit for it, and that's because it was a side project he'd developed while he and Donahue were working up Fate 3.0 called Don't Rest Your Head. It was actually the first published game Evil Hat would release, though they did it as a print-on-demand book. Demand was higher than the ability to produce, though, and Evil Hat sold through their run. The Dresden Files role-playing game finally saw the light of day in 2010. Fans of the book series loved it, though opinions from the rest of the game world were mixed, as were those from some of the reviewers. Evil Hat also got into the business of licensing their own creations, as the Fate system was licensed to Cubicle 7 Entertainment around this same time, and Cubicle 7 used it for Starblazer Adventures, which was based on the British Starblazer comic. Also in 2010, the Bits and Mortar initiative was begun. Now I'm saving this as a topic for another show, but the basics of it is that several companies that basically made their living selling PDFs of their games rather than hard copies were interested in supporting their local game shops. So what they did was organize to have a central feed point for distribution of their games so that brick-and-mortar shops could order them to carry in their shops. Evil Hat Productions is one of the founding members, and the initiative itself began in August of 2010. In January of 2016, Evil Hat decided to bring some of their more popular Fate Core System games to the print distribution game, Venture City, 
and do Pilgrims of the Flying Temple. They did the same thing in 2017 with Blades in the Dark and Carthoon, Lands of Conflict. The later two were funded for creation by Kickstarters in 2014 and 2015. As the 20 teens came to a close, Evil Hat began to see a reduction in their sales numbers, and that led to a reduction in their workforce. Now, normally on this show, this is where I get into the decline and ultimate end of a company. However, in this case, Evil Hat used their reductions as a way to restock, reload, and refocus. In fact, one of their most successful games, other than Fate, was just a few short years away, and we'll focus on that in just a little bit. Evil Hat Productions has picked up a ton of awards hardware over the years. I'm going to leave Fate out of this since I'm covering it next, but Don't Rest Your Head and Spirit of the Century were both nominees for Indie Game of the Year at the 2006 Indie RPG Awards. Spirit of the Century took home the prize. Spirit of the Century also picked up a Silver Annie Award for Best Rules and an Honorable Mention for Best Game. In 2008, Don't Lose Your Mind won the Indie RPG Award for Indie Supplement of the Year. It also got the Silver Any for Best Writing in 2009, while Swashbucklers of the Seven Skies got the Silver Any for Best Setting. Both of those games were also nominated for Product of the Year. The Dresden Files role-playing game also picked up some hardware for Evil Hat. Two Origins Awards in 2010, Best Role-Playing Game and Best Supplement for two of the other books in the line. It also got Gold Ennies in 2011 for Best Game, Best New Game, and Best Writing, along with Silver Ennies for Best Production Values and Product of the Year. Evil Hat Productions won its own award in 2012, picking up a Silver Ennie for Fan Favorite Publishers. Now, there's a ton more awards we could list out here, but some of them belong to a couple of the systems we're going to cover in this show, so let's move ahead and get into them now. Since Fate was the system that got Evil Hat started in the first place, it sort of makes sense to cover it here. As I noted a moment ago, Fate was created to replace Fudge in games by the Evil Hat group of GMs running LARPs. Hicks and Donahue decided they didn't like the fact that Fudge had mandatory traits like strength and intelligence. Their belief was that characters should have a long list of possible traits, with the idea being that a character would be mediocre at most of them, but a few that they'd be specifically very good at. They also redefined how skills work, noting that they'd work in at least one, if not more, of four actions. Attacking, defending, overcoming obstacles, which also applies to solving problems, or creating an advantage. Creating an advantage is done in the game by offering a person with a specific aspect, which we'll discuss in a minute, a fate point to put them at a disadvantage relevant to the aspect for that situation. Now, the person being offered the point can choose to refuse this, but they'll have to spend a fate point of their own to do so, so there is some strategy involved. So what is an aspect? In fate, it's defined as, quote, a free-form descriptor of something notable about either the character or the scene. End quote. If the aspect is considered to be relevant to the action, it can be invoked to grant a bonus to the die roll. Typically, the choice is to either add two to the roll or allow a re-roll of the dice, and using the aspect costs the user a fate chip. Stunts are also a part of fate. Stunts are defined in the text as, quote, exceptional abilities that grant the character a specific mechanical benefit, end quote. Now, these can either come from the list in the rules or be created by the GM and the players. Over the years, Fate has been a part of way too many different games to list here, but I promised a rundown of the hardware it's picked up, so let's get into it. In 2003, it won first place at the Indie RPG Awards for Best Free Game of the Year and Best Support, third place for Indie RPG of the Year, and it was a recipient of the Andy's Choice Award. 
Now, I could list all the any's Fate has gotten, but we'd be here for another half hour. Either Fate itself or games based on the system have picked up seven golds, nine silvers, an honorable mention, and a nomination that didn't produce an award. So I think it's safe to say that Fate has proven to be wildly popular over the years, and it shows no sign of slowing down anytime soon. Now, I mentioned the spirit of the century a little bit earlier, but I really wanted to expand on it a little bit because it's a game that really interests me. Maybe enough for a future season of the campaign build along? Maybe we'll see. I mentioned that spirit, and I'm just going to call it spirit for short since typing that title all the time got a little bit tedious. Spirit is a 1920s pulp game, and nothing lets you know that more than the cover of the rules which has a gorilla riding a biplane on it. And just for the record, the gorilla is a sample character in the book. So if you've always wanted to play a gorilla riding a biplane, here's your chance. PCs in Spirit are known as Centurions. Centurions are considered to be exceptionally special types, as they were born on the first day of the century, which gave them extraordinary skills and abilities. I noted that Spirit was built on the Fate 3 engine, so everything we discussed about it, including aspects, applies here. For the record, Spirit is also what some would call a pickup game, as you can pick it up and play it with very little preparation and very little read time on the rules. As we discussed last week, that's one of the benefits of Fudge, and since Fate is built on it, it applies here as well. I did mention the awards Spirit picked up a moment or two ago, so I'm not going to dive into them further here. I just really wanted to mention the game, since the concept of a gorilla flying a biplane just tickles me. Alright, maybe I'm the only one. Now I get it, I got silly there for a minute, but I really need to get a little bit more serious as we discuss one of Evil Hat's more recent releases. Before I get into it though, I do need to take a brief moment to talk about the game framework it's built on, as for once, Fate is not the engine driving an Evil Hat game. Powered by the Apocalypse is the framework our next entry was built on. I'm not going to get into great detail on it, since again, it's a subject for another time. The basics though are this. Games under this system are centered on resolving what characters do as moves. Characters in one of these games have a default selection of moves based on the game's setting, and the moves are resolved by rolling 2d6 and adding the relevant modifier if you're using modifiers. Success falls into three flavors, total, partial, and failure. So I guess I should have called that two flavors in a dud. Sorry. So what game is that important that it not only caused me to detail a game engine not designed by the company I'm covering, but also to get myself serious for a minute? Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is what has been described as a narrative-focused game with an emphasis on melodramatic and queer stories. Since we are all about inclusion on this show, I couldn't in good conscience pass up doing a deep dive on this game. Thirsty Sword Lesbians is the brainchild of Electronic Frontier Foundation attorney April Kit Walsh. Walsh noted in an interview with The Daily Dot in 2020 that she began developing what would eventually become the published product in 2017. She stated that, quote, My primary inspiration was urgently wanting to tell stories about dashing queers having adventures and connecting emotionally and finding that the game I wanted wasn't out there yet, end quote. In that same interview, she noted that it took quite a while to get through the development process, primarily because of her day job as an attorney. When asked in the interview about her inspiration for the style of the game, she noted that it was, quote, inspired partially from queer fan fiction, where LGBTQ writers can explore the feelings that never get represented by legacy media cartels, end quote. In a 2021 interview with Weird Science, she noted that if one were to look for games that inspired Thirsty Sword Lesbians, the closest you'd find would be The Watch, Monster Hearts, and Masks. 
The reason for that was, quote, each of them did something neat in using mechanics to evoke feelings, and I wanted to adapt these elements and build on them. I also adore the cadence of narrative downbeats from low rolls and upbeats or mixed beats from higher rolls. Being able to focus the mechanics on the narrative rather than on tasks or simulation is a design tool I really appreciate, and so is the randomness of the dice to help tell stories that can surprise you, end quote. When it came time to illustrate the game, Kanisha Bryant was tapped to handle the job, and you can tell from the cover that the artwork is going to be top-notch. So, how did the game get from an idea in an attorney's head into the wildly popular and award-winning release it turned out to be? In October of 2020, Evil Hat launched a Kickstarter to fund the publication. In a sign of things to come, the campaign was fully funded within three hours of its launch. It's been noted in multiple publications that the Kickstarter for Thirsty Sword Lesbians was Evil Hat's second largest Kickstarter ever. It exceeded its initial fundraising goal 15 times over and that it unlocked almost 50 stretch goals. The final total for the campaign was announced at just under $299,000 US. In an interview with EN World in November of 2020, released about a week before the closing of the campaign, Walsh addressed concerns that some parts of the gaming world, as well as the LGBTQA community, might have had about the product. She noted that the rulebook has, quote, five contributing authors and two sensitivity consultants, end quote. She also noted that the game went through, quote, rounds of playtests, end quote, so that the mechanics could be solidified and refined. And before we move on, I wanted to make sure the names of the five contributing writers got out there. Dominique Dickey, Joanna Kemper, Alexis Sarah, Ray Nejati, and Whitney Delagio are the five that worked to help round out what became the final copy. And if I mispronounced any of those names, I do offer a sincere apology. I would name the two sensitivity consultants, but even though I scoured the internet to try to find their names, I was unable to. Should I get those names at some point, you know I will shout them out in a future episode. Getting back into our timeline, the scheduled delivery date for Kickstarter backers was in June of 2021. However, Evil Hat decided that rather than hold back on deliveries while waiting for the stretch goal contents to be developed and produced, they'd get the books out to those who'd ponied up their hard-earned cash. That meant backers got their copy of the core rules five months ahead of schedule. Thirsty Sword Lesbians got its full release on Drive-Thru RPG in both PDF and print-on-demand softcover in June of 2021, and Evil Hat later decided to release the game as a trade book. But there's more. As part of the Kickstarter, community copies of the game were funded, and they're available on itch.io. We've discussed community game copies in the past, and if you're not sure what they are, a quick Google search will tell you that these are a very good thing. On top of that, the game has also appeared as part of bundles on itch.io to raise funds for charitable causes, like support for trans rights in Texas. So... I'm going to be Captain Obvious here for a minute and point out that Thirsty Sword Lesbians was wildly popular. Keeping that in mind, Evil Hat launched a Kickstarter in November of 2021 for the first expansion for the game. It's called Advanced Lovers and Lesbians, and it brings 10 new character playbooks and 21 new settings to the game. In November of 2021, Dicebreaker noted that Advanced Lovers and Lesbians was originally just a collection of stretch goals from the original release. 
However, it morphed into its own expansion, and at 272 pages, it would bring in a number of new ways to expand and alter the game for players and GMs. Since I'm into numbers, the Kickstarter ran two weeks, and during that time, it brought in about $97,000 from 1,762 backers. And the campaign included a hardcover edition of Thirsty Sword Lesbians, so there was a little something more to sweeten the pot. With the goal met, backers started getting their books early in 2022. On May 16th, 2022, Advanced Lovers and Lesbians got the wide-release treatment with PDF and print-on-demand softcover from DriveThruRPG and hardcover provided from Evil Hat. Okay, so with the timeline covered, let's pop the hood and see what makes this game tick. I mentioned before we started that Powered by the Apocalypse is the basic framework, so we know this is a narrative-focused type of RPG. The GM gets their title modified as well, as they will be known as the Game Master during the session. With Powered by the Apocalypse, the PCs utilize moves during a scene, and the scene concept works much like it does in White Wolf games, just so we're clear. Moves in Thirsty Sword Lesbians fall into several categories, including danger moves, heartstring moves, recovery moves, and special moves. There's also a narrative object known as strings that, as Evil Hat themselves noted, quote, represent emotional influence over another person. This could be the affection of a friend or lover, or it could be blackmail material, end quote. And for the record, strings can be used on both PCs and NPCs. The base game has nine queer-coded character archetypes, Beast, Chosen, Devoted, Infamous, Nature Witch, Scoundrel, Seeker, Spooky Witch, and Trickster. As in any other RPG, each character type has its own strengths, weaknesses, advantages, and disadvantages. And as Ann Valens noted for the Daily Dot in 2020, quote, Player characters don't actually have to seek out each other sexually or romantically. Thirst can be purely platonic. Swords and lesbians are also optional offerings, as players can switch these out for all sorts of weapons, sexual orientations, and gender identities, end quote. There are five main stats in the game, daring, grace, heart, wit, and spirit. There are also rules for things known as fighting, flirts, and zingers, which can be used to escalate or diffuse conflict. Alex Meehan explained these in Dicebreaker in November of 2020. Quote, Whatever players decide to do, they will have to attempt to roll for success, with the outcome determined by the combined total of the dice roll and their chosen modifier. Should a player experience an unfortunate event, they could suffer from a nasty variety of conditions, which they'll have to seek out a source of emotional closeness in order to cure. End quote. And for the record, conditions come in both physical and emotional flavors and can do things like add penalties to die rolls. One of the major parts of the rules that I noticed is the use of safety tools, which, if I'm being honest, should probably be done more often in more games. In her Weird Science interview, Walsh noted why these were emphasized. Quote, Participating in a romantic roleplay can be very emotional and requires communication and respect for boundaries that aren't necessarily in everyone's personal toolkit when they show up for a game. Thirsty Sword Lesbians builds consent and collaboration into the mechanics, as well as centering safety and communication practices that help groups explore more emotional themes. End quote. Two of the established safety tools the game uses are Lines and Veils and the X card. However, the game also introduces its own tool, known as the Palette. Gaming Magazine outlined this in their January 7th, 2022 article. Quote, it not only includes consent, but story elements, tone, and overall playstyle that everyone establishes in a pre-game discussion and can get changed during play as players are encouraged to frequently check in with each other to make sure everyone is still on board, end quote. 
And I should point out that that's Gaming Magazine spelled G-A-Y-M-I-N-G Magazine. Just to point that out if you're going to look for the magazine to read the article. All right, so we've covered timeline and mechanics. How about a few reviews? I dug up about 50 different reviews, but I'm going to put two up here due to time. Mayrood reviewed the game for the March 8th, 2022 release of The Advocate. Thirsty Sword Lesbians was referred to as, quote, a heavily customizable game, end quote, with a focus on building relationships instead of fighting the bad guy or rescuing the damsel in distress. Rude noted in the article that players already familiar with Powered by the Apocalypse shouldn't have any issues picking the concepts of the game up. Rude added that the nine character types allowed characters to, quote, adapt to any kind of flirting style, whether it's sexually charged sword fights, hilariously intense pun battles, or deep and dramatic heart-to-hearts. Even if you don't like romantic or sexual flirting, you can still play the game and make it about friend flirting and building a chosen family, end quote. Rude, much like I did earlier, gave kudos to the artwork. Quote, the game is loaded with sexy and stylish art. The books are worth the purchase just to look at the gorgeous art inside them. It's filled with a variety of women, queers, and lesbians in a wide variety of situation. End quote. Kotaku put Thirsty Sword Lesbians on its 10 best tabletop role-playing books of 2022. Claire Jackson had this to say, quote, The game offers a suite of really cool setting to choose from, be they sci-fi, fantasy, or even sparkle heart magic force go. There's some traditional TTRPG structure for those familiar. A GM, game master in this game, and a group of player characters tell a collaborative story of thrilling heroics, but it's one that urges you to follow your heart and not get so bogged down in the intricate details of planning out an adventure or campaign as is often the case in this hobby, end quote. And you know how much I like talking about the awards and Thirsty Sword Lesbians brought it home. The team of writers won the 2022 Nebula Award in the Best Game Writing category. For the record, that is the first time a tabletop game has ever won that award. It also picked up any awards for Best Game and Product of the Year. Great game, well-written, and inclusive as hell. That checks all three boxes on my list. Well done. And with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Next week, I've got another topic off my list to check off, and that's Legend Five Rings. If you know it, a lot of what we're covering is probably going to be old news. If you've never heard of it, you are in for a treat. Speaking of treats, if you've got the time, we've got another treat for you. It's our podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along, which is the show where we build a campaign from scratch for you to run for your group. We're building a Deadlands classic game this season, and we're winding down towards the end. So if you're interested in seeing how to build a game in the Weird West, We've got just the show for you. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube Bad GM Productions. You can email us at badgmproductions at gmail.com and online the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, it's Legend of the Five Rings. I really can't wait to get into that, but I'm going to have to because that's next week. And until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history.